This is the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan, Japanese endurance racing covered by an American. At the beginning of 2019, Super GT and DTM put their great vision into motion. The 2019 Class 1 regulations was set to shake up the world of touring cars and endurance racing, but at the end of 2020, DTM switched to GT3s. So why did this happen, and can Class 1 ever come back in the future? DTM actually tried to pull this off before in 1993 with the International Touring Car Series, also known as the ITC. It was a rule set just like today that allowed more engineering freedom than other series that were based off of production road cars. The goal was exactly the same, create not only the fastest touring cars in the world, but also the fastest closed cockpit cars in the world. But it did have a few restrictions with a 2.5 six-cylinder engine with a valve cap of four valves per cylinder. The suspension, though, could be purpose-built rather than the system used from the road-going counterpart of the car. And the driver aids and transmission, though, were kind of crazy. So first it had all-wheel drive, which is something you really don't see many in the top class of racing. It also had an electronic differential and traction control and ABS. DTM raced the original Class 1 rule set from 1993 to the end of 1995, but the ITC only ran it in 1996. Manufacturers included Alfa, Mercedes, Opel, and Audi and BMW were thinking about having cars enter the series. They did actually build cars, but they never ended up racing. Alfa Romeo and Opel left the ITC at the end of 1996 and only left Mercedes. Both series decided to end the rule set after 1996. Basically, a carbon copy of what we have today with Class 1 and the current dilemma that we currently face. But Nick Cassidy doing an absolutely perfect job. And for Keeper Toms, the Lexus LC500 would make history as the winner of the first ever dream race. Sukakoshi would take a P2 with Yamamoto taking In P3. 2014, DTM and Super GT began a relationship to attempt to merge their technical regulations. The plan was actually to initially move up to a two-liter inline four engines by 2017. The goal was to end up creating the biggest global racing series on the planet with multiple manufacturers creating those fastest closed cockpit cars on the planet. They wanted to become the Formula One of touring car racing and it showed because they used some of their tech. It was a rear wheel drive cars that had DRS and push to pass. Push to pass is used in IndyCar, but DTM was the only series to use both of those. As I said earlier, it was a two liter twin turbocharged inline four engine capped at 650 horsepower. And of course the current horsepower for GT500. 
They were mounted in the front of the car. The assists that DTM used with the DRS and push to pass helped the cars gain up to 3.4 tons of downforce. Lastly, the cars have adjustable traction control and ABS and having active suspension. At the start of 2019, Super GT had full-time manufacturers in GT500 that included Honda, Lexus, and Nissan. Toyota was not around yet with their Supra. DTM, though, also had some good manufacturers that included Audi, BMW, and Aston Martin. It seemed to start off great, and the joint rounds with DTM and Super GT teams competing at the same time at Fuji in 2019 was an all-time great yearly race, and I wish it was still around today. Sadly, that 2019 Fuji DTM round was the best we got. First thing to fall was Aston Martin, who didn't realize how expensive Class 1 really was, and left to focus on their GT3 GTE programs, and not spend more money on a series that isn't as popular as the World Endurance Championship, IMSA, or the many series of GT World Challenge. The next thing to happen was COVID-19. 2020, they couldn't do their Fuji round due to the shortened series. And then, the final straw for Class 1 and DTM was Audi announcing in late 2020 they were leaving the series. That left only BMW in DTM for Class 1, and that caused President and former F1 driver Gerhard Berger to come up with a way that he needed to do to save the series from falling for the second time. But for Super GT, luckily, Class 1 has been amazing. It was an evolution from the previous regulations, and even after Lexus left GT500, we had Toyota fill in, and it's been really close with those manufacturers with Toyota, Honda, and of course, Nissan. New brands, new faces, from Class 1 to GT3. A great success story in motorsport is in transition on its way. After 2020, DTM was forced to move from Class 1 rule sets to GT3. There were a couple reasons it failed in DTM, while it's still very healthy in GT500. First was that overall cost. Compared to GT500, DTM had to go through a bigger regulation change with the rules. GT500 is already really close with those Class 1 rules before 2019, and it was less of a transition between DTM. DTM, on the other hand, even though they somewhat had similar cars, it still was very expensive for them to switch some stuff up, especially with the fact that they have the DRS and the push-to-pass system that they use, unlike Super GT does now. The other thing was the cost of transportation. DTM, even though it's mainly that German series, they also had two tracks that include Spa, the Red Bull Ring, and Zandvoort. So they need to prepare to travel outside of the country, and that can increase costs 
unlike Super GT right now, it's only Japan. We haven't had that Malaysian round back again on the calendar. Even though they are shorter, 40 to 50 minute races, they run back-to-back -back races. So that can equal around an hour and a half in total with increased travel costs because they run those more rounds. It doesn't affect reliability of the cars as much, but it can make a small difference in those sprint races since compared to Super GT, you're pushing start to finish. Meanwhile, Super GT has eight races on average every year and has the shortest calendar of any major series. They do run those longer races, but with less travel, less practice in total, and of course, not pushing all the time, that can help reduce the costs of the series for Super GT, GT500 teams. Besides F1 and Hypercar in the WEC, Class 1 is easily the third most expensive car class to produce. That mainly comes down to the tech. DTM and Super GT wanted to create the fastest GT cars on the planet. And to create that global dream series of manufacturers from all over the globe competing in their series. And that could rival the popularity and engineering of F1. These cars have things like active suspension, DRS, and push to pass, and other big aero specifications. It can become very, very expensive when it comes to testing with DRS and push to pass. That active suspension is very hard to test and takes a lot of time. It's a very complex model. And with that push to pass, it's an electronic system. So you need to charge the battery to make sure that car has that push to pass and that can add some big money. That push to pass system is very expensive to produce and can add a lot of money to that car. It can take hundreds of hours for even a team to get a good setup with that DRS and push to pass. Of course, the complex active suspension, which is very expensive. It also seemed many manufacturers just in DTM definitely thought they would be GTEs, but just a little bit faster. They underestimated what they'd have to do with the cost. But with the amount of tech and testing time that was needed, that made GTE look cheap. And GTE isn't even around anymore because of those high costs. Meanwhile, teams in GT500, of course, already knew they were going to be making the fastest cars on the planet that are closed cockpit. That was always what GT500 was about. Before class one, they couldn't really match the hypercars, but they were really close. DTM, eh, they somewhat were, but they were significantly slower than Super GT with that GT500 class. The cost difference was much more manageable in GT500, and they knew what they were doing and what to expect. They knew they weren't building improved GTE cars, and they had a good budget. We did lose Nissan in GT500, they're back, but in GT300, but of course we had a manufacturer who wanted to join the series. Unlike DTM, when manufacturers dropped out, they weren't coming back. Of course you could have Porsche with that money, but of course that regulation with front engine cars and seeing a Porsche with a front engine that makes absolutely no sense. So even though 
GT500 is healthy and stable. DTM, it seemed like the manufacturers just didn't know what to expect when it came to the costs. Besides cost, another major factor was how DTM and Super GT plan class one at the beginning of 2014. Rene Rast is about to unleash everything. He has been superb, supreme. He's been the class of the field. He's a three-time champion. Great man. Thank you, Rene. Thanks. Thanks. I have no words. Thank you so much for the last four years. After Audi was forced to pull out of DTM at the end of 2020, it only let BMW around. It was the final nail in the coffin for Class 1, at least in DTM. Audi won both the driver's title with Rene Rast and the manufacturer's title that year. This just proved how much it failed, at least in DTM. The winning manufacturer in motor racing doesn't pull out, and it did happen. And it was the end of Class 1 and DTM, whether they liked it or not. Super GT and DTM had big expectations and goals for Class 1. Of course, they dreamed of that Class 1 series. The global series where you get manufacturers from all over the place and the best manufacturers in the world at the best tracks in the world. The Formula 1 of closed cockpit racing. For 2020, DTM and Super GT planned around in Germany, most likely Hockenheim, just like in Fuji in 2019. But, of course, that was forced to fail, and that same year was when Aston Martin left DTM. With hindsight, it may look like both series were overly ambitious, but even though cost was the downfall for Class 1 and DTM, the theory was that if a grid size dropped in manufacturers because of cost, another manufacturer from, let's say, DTM like Audi would head to Super GT. But also not just that as sort of protection. Manufacturers could come and go as they please between different series. So even if they couldn't get that Class 1 series completed, they could have a bunch of different series that run Class 1, and you could have manufacturers come and go. This was originally DTM's idea that they wanted to do this and have it succeed, sort of like what World Endurance Championship and IMSA does at Sebring. They do a single round, but unlike Class 1, they don't race on the same track, but they have a common regulations with the hypercar and GTE categories that manufacturers can come and go between different series. But also unlike Class 1, most of these teams build a new car, get a new team surrounded with that, but with this and Class 1, let's say Audi and Rene Rast wanted to head over to Super GT, Rene Rast and that same Audi squad would go to Super GT, but they would still need one more driver to complete their roster. So sort of based off of what they would do, but even better. And people already like that World Endurance Championship and IMSA events at Sebring that they used to do. So this would basically be that, but even better. DTM though, the main issue with them is they needed a series that they could find to initiate Class 1. Of course they picked Super GT, but they didn't have many options after that first generation. So with the World Endurance Championship and IMSA, 
they weren't going to team up with them. They already had GT1, and then it moved to GTE in the 2010s. GT World Challenge always runs GT3s. They wouldn't change that. The only two series that even had that slight shot were the Brazilian Stock Car Pro Series and V8 Supercars. The main reason it kind of failed is because Super GT and DTM are different. DTM is a touring series. They run sprint races. Super GT doesn't run that. They run those longer races, three to four hours on average with two drivers per car. So it was definitely a bit interesting. Yes, GT500 teams would be able to go to DTM. No issue there, but there would be an issue when it comes to DTM teams coming to Super GT. They would need an extra driver and they need to adjust their setup to run those longer races. Meanwhile, GT500, small setup changes for running those sprint races, but they would just pick their best driver on the roster that are good at race starts because race starts you have to be aggressive and that fits those sprint races like dtm so let's explain stock car pro series and v8 supercars and why those wouldn't work super gt was really the only option and not a very good one for dtm so first with v8 supercars it would be incredibly fun to watch class one hit bathurst and those tense tight street circuits they have in V8 supercars. The fans, me included, would absolutely hate it though. V8 supercars has always been surrounded with the Ford versus Holden rivalry. Even though there would have been a few other manufacturers who would join and leave the series, the whole series identity is Ford versus Holden. And most likely those two wouldn't want to do class one. They would protest and even if V8 Supercars wanted to do Class 1, Ford and Holden wouldn't want to do it, and it would basically kill V8 Supercars and its entire history. Its identity is Ford versus Holden. Ford and Holden would have no interest in racing Class 1. It doesn't help them. It doesn't suit their brand. And of course, V8 Supercars, the fans know this rivalry since the beginning. V8 Supercars is like NASCAR in the late to early 2000s, but the Aussie edition. Class 1 is more like F1, which in fan bases and driver behavior are complete and utter opposites. So why does this matter? Super GT was their only option, and with Brazilian Stock Car Pro Series, it wasn't much better. The normal roads could be good. They do have manufacturers outside of Brazil with Chevy. And of course, those road circuits would actually be fun to watch. I would enjoy watching Class 1 in that series. The issues are their ovals. So they don't run regular ovals. They run kind of these flat oval outer circuits. And Class 1 would be terrible. Because you have those different manufacturers for Class 1 specifications. Those are for mainly road racing. But for those outer circuits... No matter how much you BOP'd those cars and gave an advantage to somebody or a disadvantage to another, it would fail. Manufacturers would be all over the place and who would win would depend on what manufacturer you were driving. And that could end up being whether or not you win or lose the championship and just wouldn't work out. 
but even though Super GT was their best and really only option based off of what they wanted to achieve with Super GT and GT500, it just wouldn't work out. The different disciplines of racing wouldn't convert easily. So for class one, you would need to be an only touring series or an only endurance series. It would be kind of rough. Even though I did talk about how awesome Fuji 19 was with DTM and Super GT in that dream race, there were some issues that did show during the event. So, of course, both races were some of the greatest races you will ever see. I recommend re-watching it. I don't know about GTM, but I know Super GT has that full race replay. So go watch that if you haven't. Highly recommend watching both those races. But there were a couple issues. And the first was pit stops. DTM doesn't refuel. Pit stop times in Super GT are based off of how fast you can refuel because unless something goes terribly wrong, the tire change is done way before the refueling. So with no minimal practice, changing tires as fast as they could, they struggled. And with those stops during the race, they really, really fell behind with those DTM teams with minimal practice. And of course, not being used to doing that. The second though, were the tires. Super GT has that proper tire work. DTM doesn't. DTM runs all Honkook tires. Tires, as I've talked about before, can completely change the drivability and behavior of the car. All Super GT teams struggled since their car didn't have a setup for those Honkook tires, but had to run it for that dream race. But since Honkook isn't even in Super GT, Honda, Lexus, and Nissan themselves had zero data on those tires and they kind of struggled a little bit with the high amount of stakes with those wildcard entries and it showed because in race one Jensen Button in his NSX was able to qualify an amazing P6 but like the other guys besides Nick Cassidy his stop was incredibly slow and he ended up finishing P15. Last reason though was the main goal of the class one series they had german brands japanese brand and of course one british brand in aston martin but completely bottled it when it became to the u.s and was kind of a deterrent when it came to other countries and manufacturers most series will come to a country that they believe has potential to bring in fans or manufacturers even if the series has no representation from that host country Super GT and DTM did the complete opposite. Rather than bring attention to class one in the US first before wanting those manufacturers, they said no races will happen unless if the US gets three manufacturers creating a car for class one. This basically killed the idea of a global class one championship. If they were gonna do the same thing that they did to the US, they were most likely gonna do it to other countries or other manufacturers and it showed because other countries and manufacturers didn't even bother with wanting a race or of course wanting to bring those manufacturers in this gave class one no chance to even convince manufacturers that class one was even a worthwhile investment all of this really showed that 2019 was not a great year to start class one for those regulations and could be pushed back 
as they tried to resolve other issues. There are many things wrong with it, and it needs to be addressed, including the fact that DTM and Super GT are completely different disciplines. It may be too late to bounce back, but what can they do now to potentially fix it? So will Class 1 be able to bounce back in the future? There are a ton of current issues with Class 1, like those tire differences, the differing disciplines, and just how new the rule set really was. But most of all, the thing that rules motorsports, money. And Class 1 was expensive, incredibly expensive. What DTM and Super GT doing to fix this issue right now, and could something save Class 1? while still making it one of the fastest closed cockpit classes on the planet. Well, that's their current goal right now, and there will be no class one if they can't adjust it. Masaki Bandoa traveled to ADAC's headquarters, which is the governing body for DTM, and their HQ in Frankfurt, Germany this past February to pitch a successor to class one. Sadly, it does seem like they will be slower than the current class 1 specifications, but it will be faster than GT3s. Also an all new goal, bring a proper successor to GTE. Bando has realized that no imports will come to GT500. GT500 won't grow, and so will the current version of class 1 and it will be stuck with GT500. He has an idea that mainly targets the European market. The baseline of that rule set though would be GT3s, but more power and more aero. Basically a new version of GTEs, which are going out of the sport at the moment. He sees this going to IMSA to be the new GTD and GTD Pro classes and going to the World Endurance Championship with both the GT categories and even forming an all-new one-class series in Australia. He does have a prediction that it could work by 2028 or 2029. The head of DTM and ADAC, Thomas Voss now, commented on the meeting they had about four months ago on February 28, 2023. He basically said that between the ACO for the World Endurance Championship, the leaders of the World Endurance Championship and the governing body, and NASCAR with IMSA, they came up with a similar idea that they have with LMH and LMDH, where manufacturers and private tier teams like Joda Sport could compete in both series without even changing their car. So far, that current LMH and LMDH rule set has worked wonders, and now we're in a golden era of sports car racing. He also said manufacturers are starting to drift away from a single car for a single series, mentioning that GT3s have taken over the world because even though it is customer racing, no factory teams, so even though Audi returned to DTM, it didn't hit the same because they didn't have that factory team, unlike they did with Class 1. But with this new rule set, there will be factory teams. So. Unlike just a customer base, you will have those factory teams competing in more series. 
And with that Dream Class 1 series, you could have sort of a pro class with all the, the factory teams. And then you could have the amateur class with the private tier customers. He finished off with the fact that even though manufacturers are moving electric on the road, combustion engines still play a major role in motorsports in the future. Sending instead of going straight to electric to develop combustion engines and fuel to reduce carbon emissions and get to a state where maybe we can even keep the engines even more sustainable than electric engines. Bando, and of course the genius he is, came up with another fantastic idea. If it can get off the ground, it will work and it could be one of the biggest classes in history. But there are a couple issues that need to be solved and to have a solid outline. Unlike last time, where it was kind of rushed, it was only five years between the start of planning to the finish. And originally they were only planning three years and that was really rushed. This time, they take their time, maybe even push them back into early 2030, maybe 31, 32, 33. But let's talk about those issues that need to be solved. First, of course, is money. It rules motorsports. and It was the main downfall of class one. It needs to be cheaper than class one, but also around the same price of GTE, but maybe maybe even cheaper. Of course, you can keep the price around GTE if they get the series off the ground. Can they make that class one series? Can they go to other series? So technically it is cheaper because those manufacturers are only building one car for multiple series. That's why GT3s are really successful. They're really in anything in sports car racing. I mean, they're entering the World Endurance Championship next year. They're in IMSA. Of course, they're the top class in the Nürburgring 24 and in DTM, but you don't want that in DTM. You're here for the fastest touring cars on the planet, but also helping out Super GT and that GT500. It costs a ton of money, but it helps if you can widen the amount of series that use class one. But the second and biggest is getting this idea past the initial phases. If it works and DTM and Super GT get class one and it works again, you need to find a way to get it to other series or it may repeat or it's going to end up at a standstill with DTM and Super GT. Start extending the programs into different series. So then it brings in manufacturers. It makes it attractive because you build one car for multiple series. It's not going to go to series like GT World Challenge, but it could go to IMSA, could go to the World Endurance Championship, maybe even end up in a class in the Nürburgring 24, and maybe even end up at other single spec series, which are touring. So we're going to have to see what happens here. And guess what? It has a pretty good business model. It's a hybrid between GT3, GTE, and the old GT1. With GT3s, it helps because they want to grow to world domination like GT3s are right now. With GTEs, they want to become the new GT classes for IMSA and the World Endurance Championship. Lastly, they want to be like the old GT1 class because they want to be the fastest touring cars 
and closed cockpit cars on the planet. GT1 actually for the longest time without prototypes in the mid 90s were actually the top class at Le Mans. So they need to achieve this and it could be hard, but I think it will work and I would love to see this work. I love class one. It's sad to see it out of DTM and of course it's good in GT500, but I would love to see it elsewhere. The 2019 Dream Fuji race was an all-time great event and highly recommend watching that if you haven't, like I said earlier. And hopefully, it's just the beginning. We had Generation 1 in the early 90s. We have Generation 2 right now. But with Generation 3 on the corner, as they say, third time is the charm. Thank you guys for listening in on the Nippon Taiku Cosmopolitan. This is an episode that if you know I've been planning for ages, I keep saying it's going to be the episode for next week, but we finally got it done. If you like the episode, make sure you like it and follow the podcast. If you haven't already, listen to the other episodes. I released an episode on Jensen Button last week. If you haven't checked that out, go ahead and see you all next week on the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan.